So when end of the future, this is what we'll be known as loaded out. So, all right. The there, we're there's we're a bit of an echo. Maybe some technical difficulties. Yeah, it's like all those guys at the playoff games who have the headphones on and they sound like they're drunk because they're trying to avoid the echo. Um, but yeah. So on top of roofing podcast, take them all off. Yeah. Okay. We good? Yeah. Okay. So everything sounds normal. All right. So, so we're back um, more on the lines of, of roofing. Last time it was more getting to know Eric and I, and and this time uh, along the lines of education, which we spoke so much about last time, is we want to to get different perspectives and, and ideas and inspiration, whatever it might be, from from various um, outlooks. And so this time we have Adam Denny. So uh, as I mentioned, the dark slide. So from, from a contractor's perspective, uh, I think most confrontation that all contractors, or at least roofing contractors rather, will, will speak to is the adjuster. So uh, Adam is an adjuster currently. He's a, he's a staff adjuster, and um, he's been doing this, what, Adam, pushing 20 years? 15? Getting close. Getting close. My license in 05, started in 06. Okay. It's funny you get the dark side because um, it's kind of flipped because – Oh, you guys are the dark side. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> just not no, no, we're, we're the good guys. <laughs> well, there is no dark. There is no dark, and that's and I, that's why we wanted Adam here for sure. Is um, you know, we're all we're all doing a job, and and Adam is no different. He he works on behalf of you know whatever insurance carrier it may be, and and the homeowner. I mean, he's there to protect the homeowner and, and whatever loss they might have, have gone through at the time. I mean, obviously, we're speaking to it from a perspective of, of roof claims, but, but there's a number of things that can go on um, in, a, in a time of loss that he would come in and, and help with. So, so before we get started, I have a very, very serious question to both of you. This is, this is serious. So lock in on this. Okay. So how did the female roofer Get a million followers on TikTok. Anyone? What's the rating on this? It's, it's, it's <laughs> it's, it is. There's three people watching this, and all of them are on this podcast right now. So uh, I feel like I've heard this one, but I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't know. Adam, I've never heard this before. No, flashing. That's right. But I'm flashing. Solid. Thank you, Cannon, for for sharing that with me. But I heard that, man. This is the perfect forum to share that so but but anyway so um, in all seriousness i've known you for a minute now and i'll explain how i got to know you shortly but you have a whole lot of letters as titles behind your name please tell me what all those yeah, mean because right. i tell you what happened like when i say call adam denny on my phone <laughs> like when i'm driving middle call back or text back and says adam denny it takes 30 minutes before I can ever say anything because it's telling me all your time. So explain what all that means and, and who you are. Well, first off, you should edit my name. I have. Get rid of that. I had Get rid of that. Um, that's in there um, because when I first started, the carrier I, I started with said, you know, we'll pay you to get designations in the insurance industry and you'll get a bonus for that. And of course, being motivated that way, I thought, well, what can I do? I sat down and looked at all the designations that were available 
what you see on my, my letterhead right now is uh, PCLS, FCLS, AAIS, <laughs> I believe is what it all is. And that's the uh, first one is property claims law specialist. Okay. And then FCLS is a fraud claims law specialist. Okay. Both of those are through the same designation. And it's for basically uh, an adjuster who wants to specialize in you know, identifying fraud, red flag items. The other two, the AIS and the AAI, those are designations normally. So Fred would know more about that if you talk to him. Um, but I got those not needing to get those. I got those because I wanted to know a little bit about what an agent might experience and how they would talk to their customers. And so it's a associate in insurance services and accredited insurance advisor, I believe is what those are those are short for. Okay. Those are some fancy handles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, so all that is, that's a lot of terms and a lot of things that you obviously do and have knowledge of, but at the end of the day, you're, you're an adjuster. You're the guy who, who meets the homeowner and or contractors out on the job. So, so when that happens, let, let's, let's go from inception, right? A homeowner calls in, tell me the life cycle of a claim when it hits your desk. How, how does it get there and what happens from there? from beginning to end. You just explain the process and how it should go. Now, whether it goes that way or not, I know there's various iterations that, that can happen, but what what should happen? Okay. Well, they can go through several avenues. It depends on the carrier. Most carriers allow for um, making a claim through the agent. You can make a claim online, you can phone it into the 800 number or the 888 number or the 886 number. Um, that's called the first notice of loss, FNOL. And so you'll get that information carrier will receive that in one of those avenues and they'll create a claim and they'll ask multiple questions and the person receiving that claim, whether it be verbally on the phone or if it's uh, someone in the office on the other end of the, the computer, they're not a licensed adjuster in most cases. They're not required to be because they're not handling the claim or adjusting the claim or advising of coverage. So they're just a uh, customer service advocate or however so they're getting it to inbox, essentially. They bring it into the claim system and create a, create a claim number. Okay. And then it varies by company at that point how it gets to my desk. So the carrier I work for, what will happen is, um, it's kind of funny. I'm like a catastrophe team. And so I only get activated when there's a spike in claims. So there's too many claims in one area, they'll bring us in. And so with, with my carrier, that claim that gets called in will immediately go to an independent adjuster. Okay, so, don't know. I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but I, I think this is confusing. Maybe even early on in people's career on roofing, there are various types of adjusters. And you, you said it there. There's you know, cat team guys and staffers. There's independents. So before you get too far into it, I guess, can you explain, like, yeah. have you been on those various sides and what are those various sides and how is it you now sit on the cat team? So I've always <laughs> been a staff. Catastrophe adjuster. Okay. So a staff adjuster means I work for the carrier. The big names you're aware of, State Farm, Farmers, Allstate, Progressive, all those companies, they have staff adjusters. I mean, you're a W-2 employee. Um, they can also hire independent adjusters, which are called IA. Mm -hmm. The IAs are the same license, but they, they work for generally an intermediary company, like a pilot or, uh, well, there's, there's, there's dozens, Renfro. Renfro, yeah, yeah. There's dozens of others. And they will contract with the carrier for contract basis. And they're W two or their their employees. It all varies. And um, they have the same um, 
I guess, ability to write or, you know, pay a homeowner. Yeah. They have the same licensing authority through the state. They have different financial authority through the carry. So the, so okay. the carrier, yeah, if you're a staff adjuster, they'll tell you you've got X number of dollars you can write and no one's going to question you. Now, they'll, they'll look at it later and tell you if you're right or wrong, but you can do it without having to ask the question. If you're an independent adjuster, they sometimes will give you no authority, sometimes they'll give you a small amount of authority. But the claim, when they come in, the carrier that I work for, they just automatically get dispensed to an independent adjuster. If there's a spike that comes in, there's too many claims, hurricane, tornado, hailstorm, then someone in the office will review that and say, well, there's a spike in St. Louis, there's a spike in Dallas, let's send in a, a catastrophe adjuster, and then they'll activate me, and then I'll just reroute those claims electronically to go to my inbox, and I'll get an email that says, claim on this house, this address, this policy, and then I just handle it from there. Will there be a, a team of cat guys that come in typically, or is it, you know, you, maybe another guy, does that depend on the quantity that they're coming in? It's not a quantity, and it depends on the carrier. Okay. Some carriers are still more IA focused, independent adjuster. That's their basis, their, their primary, and some are more staff focused. Um, yeah, usually I go in and one or two others. The previous carrier I was at, there would be one or two dozen others because they wanted to do everything they could to avoid the independent adjusters, strictly from a cost basis. Is it a business model? Yep, yep. Um, per transaction, independent adjusters do cost more to the company, and insurance carriers care about what they call the loss adjusting expense, which is an LAE. And every single time they, they have to send somebody out, that is a cost. Yeah. It's more expensive for an independent adjuster, it's less for a staff, and it's even less if they don't send anybody out at all. And so when they, they can go that route, they will, which I saw the we'll, smile. We'll that that yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to get your perspective on that here, here shortly. Anyway, so, sorry to interrupt and get off on that, but yeah, so go ahead and go through where it lands in, on someone's desk, you know, yours or an IAA, and then where do we go? So I'll, I'll just stick with the model that I'm currently experiencing because it's, just, it's more fluid that way, and then we can show the differences later. And so once it lands on my desk, I, I own that claim, as does a, what they call a desk adjuster. And so when, when a customer gets the claim with my carrier, um, I will have the claim, I'll call them, I'll schedule a time to come meet them and look at the property. And then the, the office adjuster is also assigned to the claim simultaneously, and they're going to be the ones who handle it through the lifespan of the claim. I'm responsible for scheduling the inspection, looking at the property, writing the estimate, making the payments, and then close, closing, closing the claim, uh, which is a temporary status. Most carriers, um, most customers kind of misunderstand that when it's closed, it's closed forever like a door you can reopen a door okay you can reopen a claim and so once a claim is closed because payments made it just sits there in limbo waiting for something to reactivate it which usually comes in when you guys are sending us something that says hey it's either done or you missed something and that reactivates it and reopens the claim so when a claim is truly closed done paid out what is the in-house term you would say for that Closed. There's no difference between temporarily closed or closed okay. because so it's, it's, it's kind of closed. closed. It's just yeah. closed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when we send in the certificate of completion, that's issuing the final payment, and we're saying that everything's been accounted for, scope of work is completed, and that okay. closes the claim out. Closes it again. Closes it again. And it's probably been closed two or three times between the right. that time and that. Closed just means that from the carrier standpoint, there's no adjuster actively working on something. Okay. It just yeah. means that we're currently done. It may never reopen, or it may reopen. 
question. Just a phone call to reopen the claim in a lot of cases. Now, is there a time frame on that where it can be reopened again? It can always be reopened. There's some states where um, carriers are hesitant to, to reopen a claim because that starts timelines for prompt payment of claims, statutes, um, various things based on the state. And so some carriers won't technically reopen it. They'll just make a note in the file so the customer called, ask question, answered question, claim remains closed. Okay. Well, and from that perspective, and, and we run into this a lot, we may get a, a phone call from a homeowner who filed a claim six months, a year ago, insurance came out, an adjuster came out and, and partial, maybe bought a slow, bought, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then we go out and like, man, that, I'm confused by that because, you know, there's a ton of damage on here. Why didn't they go ahead and total it? Um, so from that perspective, as Eric said, you know, what are those rates? When, when does it become a new claim and how long can we go before we say, hey, no, let's go ahead and let's get back on this, this previous claim that's already been so let's use Texas as an example because that's where we are right now. There's two timelines that you need to be aware of. Now, most of the policies are going to list either 180 days or one year. And even the ones that list 180 days are really old policies. And most of the carriers have said, let's just make them all one year because it's easier for us. You don't have to differentiate between the two. But you have one year under the policy term to address damages under the policy, under the claim. But Texas statute needs two years for an accident, a claim suit. And so legally you have two years and, and the carriers are aware of that. So even the policy is not one year. If you call them in 18 months and say, look, this is really important and it's a really big deal. Most of the time they're going to address it to avoid you activating that two year option like filing a suit. And so they're going to, they're going to take care of it. Uh, but some carriers, it depends by carrier, it varies by region, are sticking to the language in the policy that says 180 days or, or one year. And they're just cutting you off and letting you take that step to go to litigation. Okay. And that's from date of loss or date of contact? Depends on how the policy is written. So it depends is unfortunately a very common answer to a lot of the questions you get you have because um, the policies some will state have one year from date of loss. And some will say you have one year from the notice of loss. And it varies. You have to read the policy. You really have to dig in and read the whole policy, including the endorsements, which modify the language. The first, first date of loss, first notice, that's like when you call in and the notice is when you make the claim, I guess? So, start so the claim. timeline language would be uh, exception date would be when the policy is written, exception date. Policy period is the subsequent timeline for it's renewed. Okay. And then the first notice of loss is the first time the carrier is made aware of the damage, okay. whether covered or not. That's the first notice of loss. And then the date of loss is when they'll ask you during the first notice of loss. They'll say, well, when did the damage occur? And they'll, they'll have a database of weather events, but it's not, not a known weather event. If it's a plumbing burst, they rely entirely on you as the customer to say, it was last Thursday that my plumbing burst. And so they'll put down the date of loss down there. And then they overlay that over your policy to see which policy period does it fit. Okay. So Sorry, go ahead. If it's a state, it's a date of loss. They have the database, as you as you mentioned, and they go correlate those events. You can see that area that you're in specifically was in a a, uh, a weather event, mm -hmm. and they can help qualify the claim. And, and some carriers are actually very proactive. You know, sometimes with uh, I believe I'll mention names because it's, it's a common knowledge information. But Liberty Mutual is good about this. Uh, 
Um, there's several other carriers um, that will send you an email. Farmers does this now. Say your area was just affected by a hail hail event. Really? Would you like? Would you like to you'll get a text. Yeah, you know, you'll get a text, and it's here to respond. Open a claim. And so they're getting proactive. They're not shy about getting the claim when they know they have coverage. They'd rather get the information now. It's they're easier. It's, it's, it's easier to adjust. Easier to reserve payment for. And it's 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 easier for the adjuster to properly identify damage. If you wait six months, carry ten months, you've got statutes, you've got weathering that will affect damage recognition is a problem. Yeah. So so you are a cat, right? And there are certain events that are considered cat storms. Yeah. What what is classified as a cat storm and just your generic everyday property claim? So catastrophe um, events are always 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 weather related. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of a bit where they're not, but really technically what it is, it, it's just a spike in claims. That's it. It's just, just a total volume of claims. Yeah, that, you think of it, it's synonymous mm-hmm. with tornado. It's synonymous with hurricane. Yeah. But it's really just a spike in claims. If Cheyenne, Wyoming gets 500 pipe burst claims, that's a catastrophe. Event, and they will deploy the CAT team to do that. If it was because one builder built 500 homes wrong and they all blew up at the same time, that's not weather related. It doesn't happen that way. But it's right. always tornado or wind or hail or freeze or earthquake or it's always weather. Which, which makes sense, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to the volume. I mean, you could have a single tornado touchdown in one neighborhood and knock out 12 homes, which is catastrophic. So those but people, those 12 but from an insurance perspective, that's, that's obviously not the case. Uh, the, the local guys will handle that. And so, so from an insurance perspective, and you may or may not know the answer to this, you know, all the various carriers, are there certain thresholds governed by the state that state X amount of claims equal a cat storm? Or is, is that dependent upon the carrier, what they deem as catastrophic? Yeah, I have, I have friends, being in the industry for almost 20 years now, I've had friends with most of the major carriers, and I'll talk to them. I'll say, hey, we had a big event in Dallas, and I know carrier XYZ declared an event. Did you all declare an event? No, we don't have enough PIF in that area. And PIF is policies in force. So if you have policies in force in a certain area, you have a higher risk to, to weather events. And so it's funny, we'll compare notes. You know, yeah. I'll call and my, my buddy at Farmers told me, well, Round Rock just sent 28 people. I'm like, well, I heard from Progressive that they sent three. You know, it, it just depends on how heavy they are in a certain area. Understood. It, it's amazing how different carriers are heavy in some and light in others. You go 20 miles and it's the exact opposite. Huh. Okay. All right. So cat event happens. It's been called in. lands in your desk. You have how many claims? Let's assume it's cat storm obviously you're there how many claims would you have at your desk on saturday sunday and you're headed out to you know round rock so a typical cat adjuster if you're a staff cat adjuster we'll get 50 75 maybe 100 on the really high end up front if they have that many claims. if you're an ia there's no limit they could send you 150 claims at one time it just depends on how many they have and how many they have to get off their plate somebody else's hands. And is that do like from your standpoint, being the cat guy, you're gonna you can only be there for what you're two weeks on and a week off or whatever it may be, so you can only handle so many and an IA they're gonna work him into the ground. Yep. That, yeah. That's yeah. It. yeah. So uh every carrier is a little different. Um carrier I'm out now does a twenty day on, a day off. Prior carrier did twenty three days on, five days off. Same twenty eight day time frame time frame. Um but if you are a staff adjuster it's it behooves them to give you time off because you're going to be there for your career. 
eventually. Right. If you're an IA and an adjuster, they will de- deploy you to an area um, as long as there's clans, they'll leave you there as long as you can stand it. You could go there for three months, six months, a year and a half, or just perpetual. It varies by carrier, but the bigger one, the biggest one, will deploy someone to an area and leave them there forever if there's enough clans. They'll never undeploy them. Yeah. So, so actually, the, the way that Adam and I know each other, my brother-in-law, um, they worked in car audio together, of all things. Yeah. Um, I really don't know how you transfer from car audio to, to adjusting, but I There's a guess. Because, <laughs> but the funny thing is, so yeah, my brother-in-law is now an adjuster as well. He's he's an IA. Um, but anyway, so I met Adam through Chip years ago. But it's funny, both of them come from car audio to to this to the dark side again. Um, but yeah, it, what's, what's funny about them, you guys? They're the most Chip and Adam are two of the most meticulous guys I've ever met in my life. They don't miss anything. Smart as whips. So that's what that's what's scary from a contractor side, like. You can't pull anything over on three skits. So, and I've met every adjuster, and they're all just like us. <laughs> I'm not buying it. Yeah, I've met a handful <laughs> of them too. Adam. I'm sorry, so, uh, BS on that. Um, I'm meeting fewer and fewer of them, but uh, that's for later. Um, okay, so so you've got your 75 claims. Let's go now. What are you doing? Also, it depends on the carrier. So yeah. for, my, for my carrier, I'm responsible for. All of it, pretty much. I, I will call the customer and schedule the customer. I will I'll try to figure out how bad their damage is, the severity of the claim, how I need to be on site. And have, after doing it for years and years, you can, you can tell. If it's a hurricane claim, you need more time. If it's a hail claim yeah. in Dallas, you need a certain amount of time. Hail claim in Minnesota, you need a different amount of time because they have extra buildings, they have siding. And, and so you, after a while of doing it across the country, you kind of get a feel for how much time they need to allocate for each one, and you just schedule them. There are other carriers that um, the adjuster doesn't schedule anything, and it's done through kind of like a picture an Uber system. You, you go on to Uber, you click in, and you say, I want to try to pick me up at this time. It's on a computer. I find out who's available. And, and so other friends who are at a carrier where it's, it's just fed to them, they get up in the morning, they go, oh, look, I've got three claims here, here, and here, and they go to them. Um, it's probably a split 50-50. I yeah. think half the carriers are using a version of each. Um, the oldest way of doing it is just giving you a handful of claims and saying, just do them, figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. You know, and I prefer that myself. I don't like the front end because it's a lot of phone calls. It's a day and a half or two days of phone calls, just calling and scheduling. And you have to learn the, the region and the area where you are and traffic and all that before you even start. And I've done it well, and I've done it poorly, depending <laughs> on where I go. And I've learned poorly looks like and how to avoid that which is possible in the future but something's unavoidable sometimes you've got 10 minutes of drive time sometimes it's two hours of production you just got to figure it out yeah okay so uh, i'm trying to think of a specific event we've had here recently and i just because it's, it's the most recent you know like over in mansfield on the country club we talked about last time you've been on some roofs um it's a weird storm right i mean there's some really big stuff some Interesting, I guess, results essentially. So, yeah, I know what you're talking about on that one. And right? so, every event is different, whether especially on a catastrophe team, you're, you're traveling from different areas, traffic's different, the manufacturing process is different, the, the materials just be different, type of damages just be different, which is what you're alluding to on the main storm. Yeah. And then, hurricanes also, every single one of those is all different. And so, specifically on a hailstorm, normally you think of hail is just frozen ice, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's an ice stone, it's solid. Well, yeah. yeah, 
maybe. Sometimes it's a solid piece of ice. Ice for old fashioned. We've got your yeah. sonic ice. That's exactly right. The sonic, sonic ice is put together and into the same size ball. It's not, it's not as dense. It has more air in it, but it's solid constructed. So you may have three inch hail that's comprised of a bunch of you know, marbles. Yeah. You may have a golf ball size hail that's a solid golf ball. And if it's frozen all the way through, it's more dense and it damages the, the items that hit more badly. And, and if it's not, if it's a conglomeration of small stones, it can splatter when it hits and just, just disintegrate, or it can be frozen very solid. It all depends on the uplift and how cold it is up at that higher elevations. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw that. It's been interesting. And we spoke to, and I, I don't envy your position of these storms by any means. But it was hard for us having these conversations with homeowners when we went out there and said, yeah, we know what you heard. We know what you have in your freezer, but it's not on the roof. And so you as an investor coming out and like, look, I've got all these in my freezer. Um, my neighbor across the street just had his roof totaled. There, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And it's it's hard being the bearer of that news. When they, they have something tangible in their hand that looks like you know, it could kill them. It's right. frozen solid now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. it's hard to rock. Yeah. But, but that it is a difficult position. And so I, I've always – have I had – a contentious relationship with, with adjusters in the past. Absolutely. Um, but I've also understood, you know, I, we see what we see and we tell people all the time that there's no damage up there. But once someone has told you, i.e. a contractor, be it a good contractor or a bad contractor, someone tells you you have damage in your mind, your expectation is you're going to get paid and you're going to get a new roof. So when you come in, you have to say, I, I'm sorry, I don't see it. That, that's a situation so, so how, how do you deal with that and, it, and we, i mean i know into it but sure how, how does that happen you know it, it uh i would say it, it doesn't bother me because I, I look at it and i say what's right and i just go with what's right and that's that's why it doesn't bother me i, I tell them exactly what they have what they don't have and if i come out i try to teach or treat each one like it's my grandma from minnesota i mean i just I love her she's a sweet lady yeah, I walk in and say, you know, I'm here because I'm licensed in every state I go to. I'm licensed in like 43 states. And I go to, the, go to that state and I have a fiduciary responsibility because of my license in that state to not only protect the assets of the company to make sure they're paying what they owe, but also to protect customers. Yeah. I'm, equally, I'm equally fiduciary responsible to each one. And so I try to look at it from both points of view and I'll just tell them exactly how it is. You know, sometimes it's bad news and I don't like telling them, but I know that I'm right when you say it. And so it doesn't mean I, I don't really carry much over to the next claim. I just tell them, this is what you have. And, you know, this is what I can do. This is what your policy can pay you for. Yeah. And we just go from there. So how do you have a conversation with the contractor who has told this homeowner? That's a fun Is, is it mostly posturing, you think, on the contractor's side, trying to get in front of the homeowner and you're just like that insurance carrier? never know the background of the contractor when I meet them. And I don't want to be condescending when I talk to them and try to pull that information out of them. I'm not trying to make them look bad. If I don't know if they're new or just wrong or uninformed or because honestly, most times I meet them when I think I disagree with them, I feel like they feel like they're right. And that's a different position that I would take them if I, if I get a sense that they know they're wrong and they're saying something contrary to the truth. I handle those differently. But Generally, what I do with a customer at the door, I invite the contractor with me, and I have a conversation. I'll say, look, 
um, this was a hail call. I was called a hail. You're going to get two different opinions from two different professionals. This is almost verbatim what I tell them. I said, your contract, I'll point out, just told you that you have devastating hail damage to your roof. I don't see any damage to your roof. I don't see wear and tear. I don't see hail. Um, you know, what are the specific parts of that roof? I'll, I'll state that. And I said, here's what I recommend. Um, you have two different professionals telling you two different things or polar opposites. What do you do with that information? Hire anybody you like to make any repairs and anything you want to your home. But I suggest you hire and talk to another roofer and tell them you had a roof that says the roof is trash. It's damaged by hail. It's beyond repair and it's, it can't be salvaged. And also tell them that you had an adjuster look at it and found nothing. And then whatever they say, have them call me. So I think that leads kind of to another thing I wanted to talk about, which has become much more prominent um, on the contracting side of things is supplement. Uh, you know, when I when I first got into roofing years ago, and I, I rarely supplemented, if at all. And if it, I mean, it would be something just like a, a total miss. You know, there are six plumbing boots and there's an eight or, or something like that. But now... I mean, a lot of times there's there's a ton of items that, that aren't on a claim, um, and we have to you know, bring in other people to help us with that at times. So, what does that look like from your side of the desk, and why potentially, and maybe this is just my perception, why is there so much more? Or why does there appear to be so much more supplement today than there might have been five, ten years ago? It's a little bit of a loaded question. Um, I can tell you, and this is one one take on it. Okay. Um, so when I first started, I talked to some of the old timers that were, I've been around for probably 10 or 20 years. And they would tell me stories about, you know, we didn't have digital cameras. We would take Polaroid, a picture of the house, a picture of the paperwork, you could say total roof because of, and they would write a narrative. They didn't take pictures of all the damage. And companies have evolved with technology for good reason, because I'm sure a lot of stuff was bought that was unsupported because it was just easier, a way to fact check it. And then it, as it evolved to where we could support, look, this is, what, this is what we're paying for. They would give us guidelines and follow those guidelines and document it appropriately. Um, when we would, um, when we get, I lost my train of thought entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I can avoid that today, but. Now you're so from supplement. So on the supplementing, so it, the reason why it evolved to supplementing is because originally we would have very few line items. All we would care about was well, I say we care about all the all the customer cared about was the roof. I have a hail claim for my roof. They come out, look at the roof, and they leave. But those were small deductibles back then. This is where my opinion comes in. The uh, deductibles were two fifty, five hundred, maybe a thousand. And now the deductibles are <laughs> yeah, more more of an automotive auto deductible kind of scenario. And now they're one percent, two percent, five percent. So they're thousands of dollars of deductible, and. I would say right or wrong, but it technically officially it's wrong. Um, absorbing deductibles is, is, is a thing, and you need the collateral in some claims to, for the carrier, for the contractor to make it a viable claim. You know, they, they do all this stuff so they can have a $5,000 deductible that's, you know, I'm not going to speak for them, but they, they do a lot of absorbing of deductibles, which is not allowed. It's against the law. And so, as they decided they needed more and more on the claim, other than the roof, it pushed both sides to look at in, in a totality of, of damage. Like, what else is hail damage? Is the window, the extra buildings, the fence, the shed, all these, all these items. 
And it just became more and more complicated as time went on. And, and the yesterday program we used, that we've been using for 20 plus years, became more detailed. Yeah. And it had more and more and more detail in it. It made a five line item estimate. You have to be a hard red yeah. to use exactly right. Well, it, <laughs> I mean, it's a great program. I love it. It's a really good program. Yeah. And it's seven out of 10 major carriers use it. So it's, it's, it's across the board, it's out there. But it has it added, I don't know how many thousands of line items since I first started. They just keep adding more detail to it. And because of that, when you go out and make a claim, in order to make sure that they're fully indemnified, both sides, adjuster and contractor, should be looking for every item they can to put on the estimate. My goal as an adjuster is, this isn't is your question, but my goal is to never hear from the customer again. Not because I don't like them, but because I, I don't have time. And so I spend all my time on, on the site talking to them, answering their questions, writing the most detailed estimate I can, and hopefully the next time we hear from them, it's all done. Where's the final check? Well, I think that's separate from, yeah. from our perspective, too. Like, we want to go out, we want to do the, the best job we possibly can and not miss anything or a piece of flashing or a piece of drip edge that could lead to a leak. Like, again, not because we don't like them or whatever. It's just we want to do a great job and we want to move on to the next one and make sure that they're, they're handled. And, and that's why I, I see so much similarity on both sides of the desk here. We're, we're both trying to do a job. There's, there's no reason for it to be contentious. I mean, we, we can have disagreements and, and we can maybe talk about the next season. It's like, what, what steps or, you know, other outcomes or avenues rather for other outcomes does a homeowner have when maybe you and I do disagree on the roof? Yeah, so from my point of view, when I come out on, on a claim, you know, and I get your, your question in a second, but um, when is the disagreement? When I meet with a customer, I assume the contractor is an extension of that person because I don't know if they're a brother-in-law, a brother, pastor, a neighbor. I don't know who they are. To them. So as far as I'm concerned, the contractor and the customer are the same entity as long as the customer says, it's free, I'm free to talk to them. My contractor is okay. I'm going to address you. I want to talk to you. I'm going to make sure that everything's okay. I'm going to make sure there's no question. And as far as being contentious, um, I don't see a benefit to it from an adjuster standpoint or a contractor standpoint. Agreed. Yeah, because yeah. like it or not, the adjuster holds the checkbook, and if you piss them off, they might do the wrong thing and, and shortchange you. And that's that's always been my perspective. And I, when I first got into roofing, I saw it all the time. I mean, you hear crazy stories about them sharing the ladder and the contractor running off the ladder and yeah. leaving the adjuster on the roof, or just yelling and video. And I'm like. Man, I don't know. I remember yelling at my mom when I was a kid, and I sure as hell didn't get in my way. I can promise you that. So I just, I've, I've never understood that. But there's always been an avenue for disagreement. Mm -hmm. You know, you can ask for a second inspection. You can put in for a supplement. I mean, you can go as far as a PA or an appraisal. There's, there's multiple ways you can go about hopefully getting the outcome that you want. I mean, again, sometimes you just have a contractor that's told you wrong. We, we run into that all the time, all the time. But I'm sure you've seen it too. There's, there's bad adjusters out there too. Or maybe they had a bad day. It's like cops. You know, cops get a bad rap a lot of time. Maybe they just came from, I don't know, an abuse call and they're in a bad mood and then they go to a traffic stop. I mean, yeah, they're in a different frame of mind. Yeah. So things, things can happen. It's not supposed to happen, but it does. And the same thing on the contractor side. There's bad guys or, or you know, maybe not the most educated guys and things just go wrong. So I had a little boss who used to tell me, I was like, look, this is not life and death. This is just insurance. Yeah. This is, I mean, so you make a comparison to a police officer. You can't make, you can't make a comparison. They've got 
about life and death. Absolutely. Uh, the, the stress under it, it's, it's immense. So I, I have nothing but respect for those guys. If somebody takes a ladder up on the roof, you're going to be under a fairly sizable amount of stress. Yeah, yeah. obviously. I'll be, well, I got a hat. Just hang out. <laughs> yeah. I, I always wear my phone for that reason. You How know, many phones do you have, Adam? I have three. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you, gotta, you can see them right there. <laughs> yeah, you got to have three. Ben Watson, he is covered. Yeah, <laughs> I know what time it is. That's for sure. That's for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's no reason to be adversarial. I mean, and, and there will be disagreements. There, there always will because even within adjusters, adjusters are, are very common for calling other adjusters and say, "Hey, I got a question for you. Um, I got this scenario. How would you handle it?" You know, there's an old, I say it's an old saying. It's an old saying within the adjuster world. You could have one claim, one house of damage, and just Send out ten adjusters, one after the other, and you get ten different estimates. Yeah, yeah. it's not second one. Yeah, the same carrier, same guidelines. It'll, it'll just be different um, for whatever reason. Um, they use different line items, different measurements. They have different opinions. They subjective, objective. It's, it's you know, so it's, it's not if it's going to happen within the ranks of the adjuster side. Of course, it's going to happen on on both sides, on the hunter side. And so, you know, that's why the carriers have. If you look at the staffing model for the carrier right now, we have. Two, three, four times as many inside people as we have field people. You know, we'll let the thing in for a second because what that means is they handle the claims and then we wait for stuff to come in. And the workload, the stuff that comes in is much more than the initial. Yeah. They're constantly getting questions and, and, um, and supplements and final invoices and just a lot of work going on after I'm done. You know, it's, it's not done when it's done for me. Yeah. It's not done for the customer or the, or the company. So that's a good question. So do you, like in your scenario, um, or just generally speaking, do you handle those documents that come in or does that, that goes inside and then you, how do most carriers work or is it just a variety? Varies by carrier. So um, Nationwide, uh, USAA, uh, Liberty Mutual, when they when they come in, most of the time when those claims come in, they're they're, they're handling those cradle to grave. Okay. That's how they refer to it. Um, so you handle a claim, a question comes up, you answer that question. But if you're handling with State Farm, Wall State, or Farmers Progressive, they have inside groups that are pretty big. Um, and it's not that the other carriers aren't big. They just decided to go with a different structure instead. And different reasons. Um, because who's the best person to answer if you missed something? Well, the person that was there. Right, right Did on. you see it? But the flip side is if, if you have a differing opinion, who's the best person to ask? The third person. Right? If you ask the same person that made the decision, you're going to get the same decision. And so if you want to give an honest uh, representation to the customer from the carrier standpoint, you let a different adjuster look at it. And so that's why I prefer this model. I like it when you, if you have a question, if you disagree with what I said, ask another adjuster. Right. You know, they'll, they'll tell you their opinion. But, you know, that's the way you get as many eyes on it as you can. I think that's been my, my biggest gripe. Um, here recently, we've had to ask for a lot of second look inspections. And what will happen more often than not is it ends up, you know, with a, a virtual or the same desk, desk or whatever. Well, sure, he's already made his determination. He, mm -hmm. He's not going to go against what he initially said. So you're kind of spinning your wheels. So I, I agree. With you have to put a note in the bottom that says, I was wrong. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That feels great. Yeah. 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 I guess something different because, like, if, if you were on a region with me or, or for somebody and then, and then I go back and tell them because you, I feel you forgot something. And it goes to the next person who wasn't on with us, who's now looking at some 
just some pictures in a file and they go, well, I don't really know if you missed that or not, or it's, it's, I wasn't there. I, mean, was, I don't know if there could be some, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. So That's the person on the inside, are they, do they have 15 years of experience like Adam? Make that call based on, oh yeah, they didn't, you know, there's a picture of the Valley Medal and we missed Valley Medal. That's easy, but just, I don't know. I can't think of an example in my head now where it would be kind of, you know, conflicting. Usually the experience is heavy on the field staff, not the yeah, Absolutely. People use a progress from the inside to the outside. Okay. They don't know it the other way. They're looking at it like they're retirement. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, and I may have told you this. It was right around the time virtual inspections started happening. Mm-hmm. And so the guys would have to call into the desk, and I can hear the desk on the phone. It's on FaceTime or maybe a phone call, and they're snapping pictures or whatever. And the person sitting at the desk said, hey, 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 go back. What, what's that right there? What's that, what's that spinning thing right there? I said, are they talking about the turbine? They didn't know what the turbine was. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be bad. And, but then shortly thereafter, the same thing happens. So that shingle right there, what, what is that? They didn't know the difference between a three-tied shingle and an architectural shingle. And I'm just like, what, is, what are we doing here, guys? It's, thank God it's gotten so much better. Since then, but to his point, like you get some of these guys at the desk, you're like, man, did they just take the test? Like, have they ever even been on a road? And that's the case a lot of times because, as far as legal is concerned, um, <clears throat> insurance says you have to pass the licensure. Yeah. But I don't, you guys haven't taken an adjuster's test, but I don't advise it. It's not pertinent to the job. I mean, I've taken it. Um, I took, I studied on Thursday, I took it on Friday, and I haven't used anything from that information <laughs> to use my job. And it's not relevant. <laughs> It's uh, it's really just rote memorization of things that aren't practical. Yeah, it's theoretical kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, and it isn't. But it's just not stuff that I need to adjust claims. It doesn't talk about estimating as amount of damage. It doesn't talk about materials. It talks about what does the law say and what are the requirements for timelines. Yeah. So prompt payment of claims, things like that. Yeah, I know that from the test. But I don't know if that should be a three tab or yeah. uh, a laminate or anything. Yeah. And I don't know any of that because that's not part of the test. Yeah, that was, that was, those were rough days. Man, that's going to be a long claim. <laughs> we're not getting paid for a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so, so from a homeowner's perspective, Adam, I mean, we're sitting here talking a lot about loss. And, you know, I think we all know what we consider loss, right? You got hail damage, you got wind damage, I don't know, debris, whatever that, that could cause problems on the roof. But a lot of times, Eric and I will go out and homeowners like, Man, I got granules all over my driveway and my, my roof's shiny and it's, man, it's bad. I, insurance owes me for a new roof. I've been paying for insurance for 20 years. I need a new roof. Is that right or wrong, Adam? When I hear that from a customer, I try not to acknowledge any of those points, honestly. I, I, I listen to them and I say, yeah, you do have a lot of granules on the ground. Because if I told them, not my opinion, but if I told them what I learned, what I know about this, I don't want them to think that I've made up my mind that you don't have any damage. Yeah. Because it's going to sound like I'm telling them no before I even look at the roof. I'm putting yeah. my ladder up and you're like, look at all the granules off. I'm like, yep, it's a lot of granules off. <laughs> well, it, it could be a different reason. You know, when they, when they pack, when they make these granules and they make the shingles, there's an extra amount of granules on there. When you open the bag, granules fall out, right? And you put them on, as it weathers, it sheds granules over its life. Uh, when hail comes through, it will knock off a bunch more. But unless it's damaged, it's really going to open up a can of worms. Unless it's damaged than that, 
it's technically not damaged. You know, that and shingles, asphalt shingles would cover most roofs. So, I know. It's it's right. You've got fiberglass, <laughs> you got fiberglass, you have asphalt, you have granules on there. And the reason why they put the granules on there is just to protect the, the, the asphalt from the sun. You put a black top road down, it's solid black, they want. And you watch it age every day, it turns gray. It almost turns white when it's 15, 20 years old. It's good. Hell, they open it's, it's, it's damaged by UV. <laughs> you know, anything petroleum based is damaged by UV. It's just it's back tires, rubber, anything like that does that. And so granules slough off over time because they're just, just pressed on there with less fluid. There's not a whole lot holding most of them on. So does insurance go for that? No. Not just for granule loss, no. Why not? Well, I'm, I'm a homeowner. Explain to me why you don't know me from my old week. Because the policy says it moves you for sudden and accidental. Sudden. It's accidental. The accidental part we can, we can agree on, but the sudden can't because you didn't suddenly lose all these granules. You lost them over a period of time. But the sudden accidental damage, and then it also lists you know, hail is on there. And so hail really looks like on there is not an even coating of granules being lost. It's a smack right in the spot, and you've got some knocked in, some granules knocked into the mat, and some knocked off, and potentially damaged the mat. Most policies differentiate between cosmetic, functional, not functional. Some do, but most don't. And so now we just look at it and say, can I tell if hail has hit this? And if I feel bruised in the mat, I feel those granules knocked off, then that's, most carriers will say that's hail damage. So I, I think the harder part, or at least from my perspective, that, that homeowners don't understand, um, I have a leak in my house. You know, leaks pop up and it, it's sudden, for sure. There you go. But... Uh, but what I see a lot, and Eric probably sees a lot too, it is so rare that a leak is actually caused from hail damage. More often than not, and tell me if you agree with this or not, it's wear and tear. And that's a really hard message to deliver to a homeowner is that this has been an ongoing problem um, that you didn't realize until it was too late. So what, what is insurance's stance on that? And if you want to explain my scenario better, I know you can, but, but if you would. Yeah, so you're, you're exactly right. I mean, as far as hail causing a leak, the same event, sometimes the rain doesn't even occur in the right order for the hail to have caused a leak. Sometimes right. it's the next rain, yeah. but even then, it doesn't usually cause a leak. Usually when I see a, a leak from hail, it's because of two things. Hail has impacted either a valley or a ridge hard enough to break the, the, the fracture of the mat, and usually it's a valley because you have more water there, and they didn't put the preferred valley membrane under it. They just did the, the, the required standard uh, felt under there. And yeah, when you, you get it hit in that valley where it has a, a nice curve, it has the most impact because there's water collecting, it'll come in there. Generally, if you get an impact on the roof from hail, you don't get a leak there for years yeah. if you ignore it. Right. It's uh, just not something that normally occurs. Yeah. And, and that's the normal storm. Of course, if you're in California versus Texas, Versus Florida, a normal hailstorm is different. You know, we, we can get golf balls every year. And right. golf ball in some parts of the country is unheard of. We can get cantaloupe. Yeah. We can get massive stuff. Now, it's going to leak from that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not normal. Right. But more often than not, it's, you know, a squirrel chewed on a lead boot or chewed up in the patient and you get a wind drip and rain. And, and that's, it's hard for, for people to understand that. I have water coming in my house. You owe me for that. Sure, it owes me for that. And it depends on. Depends. Depends. Right. Depends, depends on the policy. There are some carriers, and I won't throw the ones out, the names out that I know of that do this, but 
two schools of thought, two types of policies that most, most policies fall into. One says sudden and accidental damage, unless excluded. And most of those don't say leakage from a single event is excluded. So if you get a spot on your ceiling from a single event, you know, you don't have like 15 concentric circles of pain knowing there's something going on for two years. Um, single stain, that's covered under most policies. Some carriers take the other approach, which is rain, water damage from rain is not covered unless there's a storm created over it. Yep. You know, and you don't see it as often, but it's out there. And it's not something they market. They don't tell customers, oh, by the way, we're a storm, we're a storm created over the company. Yeah. Watch out for that. Well, and you know that, that that's an interesting piece. I think a, a lot of homeowners have have a hard time getting that or understanding it, maybe even appreciating it. Is there's there's no interaction between you and an agent, right? The agent who writes the policy that is a, essentially a total separate entity from claims. Yeah, and and it's done that way for a reason. Yeah. There's a, there's a reason. That there's a line there because you're selling something and we're we're inspecting it. And it if there's too much overlap have a uh, conflict of interest kind of stuff going on. And, so, and it's hard to explain what those are, but they separate them because, you know, the agents are the ones who are representing the customer. Right. Right. Only. I mean, they do represent the company, but their name on the letterhead and things like that, but they're, they're an agent. I mean, look at the look, definition of agent. They're an agent of the customer, not an agent of the company. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a duty responsibility to both to write it up to make sure that I'm paying for what we owe and I just, I just, I'm responsible for the Department of Insurance. Yeah. But the company pays me. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I mean, I've, I've heard it a number of times. Like, oh, man, I'm paying my agent as soon as this claim's done because it's been such a horrible process. Or, or vice versa. I mean, it's just like, well, it's, it's not one in the same. They're, it, you know, my mother and father in law just built a new house and they, they texted me the other day and said, well, who should we go with for insurance? And I said, well, Based on based on the home you built, it's a really expensive house, and I think you should go with your job or your concierge But you pay for it. You pay for it. Exactly. everybody else, if you accept, I mentioned the exceptions. I won't mention them now. There's no reason for that. But for the most part, everything else is a crapshoot. I would say review your coverages. Let me look at what you're what you're getting. I make sure you don't have voids and gaps. But you never know. You never know what, what adjuster is going to show up. Um, if, they're going to, if they're going to be a licensed adjuster on the site, if they're going to be a vendor, jump surprise you haven't had on this yet. The, oh, the, yeah, the unlicensed inspector. Hold time there, little buddy. It's coming. <laughs> um, but no, you're absolutely right. I, I say this. We get asked the same thing all the time. You, you work with all the, the various areas. Like who's the best? And the thing I will say, and, and it probably comes to Brad. I mean, you know, again, we, everybody in the church knows Brad. Um, he's just a really good agent. I want someone who represents me, who, who, you know, understands what I need and how to protect me. I want to be able to call the same person every time and he understands where I'm coming from. Whether I'm right or wrong, he understands, you know, what my complaints are, what my needs are, and he can fight for those needs. And so there, there are certain carriers out there that, it's a 1-800 number. You're never going to get the same person. And at least from my perspective, and this is one man's perspective, it's like, I, I just want that representation. So when somebody asks me, you know, who's the best insurance agent? I said, for me, it's someone who, who I know I can talk to every single time. There's great carriers out there. And I mean, but to your point, you don't know what you're going to get on your roof 
water on your property, you know, with a flood or maybe you just don't know. It is a total crapshoot. So you got to figure out, you know, I'll tell you this: if you're shopping price, it's that old adage: you're going to get what you pay for. And so in the case of Pure and Chubb and that, you you pay a premium, but it's a concierge. I've seen them take care of the customers. They're really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, the carriers are, are, it's tough. I mean, put your hat on backwards here for a second, be be an adjuster for a second, or be an agent, and think about um, how do you want to sell your policies? You know, some companies sell online, some sell it through an exclusive agent, some sell it through an independent agent who can have multiple carriers. And um, there's pros and cons to every one of those. And a lot of it is generational. You are all pretty much in the same generation here. I'm probably the oldest. Um, oh, look at her. Definitely. Look at that. Right. 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 They don't want to build a relationship. And I get that perspective. Like, I, it's flawed. I, I'm sorry. Well, and I'm the old guy. I'm the old guy. But if you don't know what you're paying for and you don't have someone who can explain it to you, because it's flawed. And I, yeah, I'm going out on a limb. And it's flawed. You've got to have somebody who's going to represent you and be able to explain to you what you're getting. Because a lot of us who are out just buying it online, they don't know the difference between a 1% and a 2% reductible and all your added barrels and the things you're talking about. And so, I, and maybe that is the young man's game until you have a claim. Yeah. And, and then you cool. figure out what you have or don't have. Right. Maybe that's how we learn. <laughs> it's a hard lesson to learn. At times, like all the people who went through Snowmageddon a couple of years ago who potentially had total losses. Um, yeah, that's definitely a hard lesson. To learn. Well, and, and there's no guarantee, and I'm not trying to bash anybody here because um, you mentioned Brad; he's off. But um, there are agents, just like adjusters and contractors, that aren't great at what they do, yeah. and don't um, have a clear understanding. I work for a carrier that only an exclusive agent in the system. Over and over and over, I would hear, "Well, my agent didn't tell me that." You know, so there's no guarantee that you're going to get the information just because you have an agent. Right. Either way, you have to have very intuitive yourself. You have to be in the information. So if you're lucky enough to get back, it's great. But if not, then you're still having to do the research. So it's cheaper to go online and buy it. I'm not plugging this, but that's what carriers are looking at. It's like, if it's just as good either way, it's cheaper to sell it online. And they can give you a lower premium, theoretically. Yeah, everything comes down to the almighty dollar. All right, so we'll get going for a minute. This could probably go all day. Um, so, so a couple things, let's touch on it briefly. And this is the one that could last forever is a lot. If not most of the carriers now aren't even sending adjusters out. Yeah. Explain, just explain, explain that. So, yeah. so even the company I work for who sends me out, I'm a staff adjuster. I work for them, W2 employee. Um, it, most of our claims are handled by an independent adjuster or a vendor. Um, vendor. Let's focus on vendor. Yeah. Focus on vendor. That's that's the fun one, right? You know, there are companies out there, and I don't know some names, but they, they, uh, they're good companies for what they do, but they also they've tried to figure out what other services can we offer the insurance industry. They started off with ladder assists for adjusters who didn't have a two-story ladder or a deep roof, and now they're offering 
more and more services. Some of those services are inspection services. Uh, interior, exterior, uh, they're, they're documenting the damages. The state regulates insurance in America, not the federal government. Every state is the Department of Insurance. And that state says, pretty much across the board, they all say, um, you have to be licensed to adjust the community. Except for states that say we don't require them. They, they list that out. Um, most all Texas is not one of those. Texas is one that requires a license, right? So just talking about Texas, which is for adjusters, not for contractors, unfortunately. That's a yeah. yeah, yeah, there are some it's the opposite. The adjusters yeah. aren't required, the contractors are. Funny. And then if you go to Illinois, you can be a PA and a contractor on the same claim. It's even better. Oh, there's no double booking or anything. No, no. <laughs> Back to the, the original, the vendors they offer these services for inspections. And as long as there's a licensed adjuster reviewing the damages, damages, um, they don't have to be on site. You know, they can do that virtually. They can do that um, over the phone. They can take your word for it. They can come because there's a lot of claims, small stuff. They'll call in and say, 100 feet of fence flew over. Okay. Your deductible's 500, 100 feet of fence in our area is 100. Here's $1,000. No photos, nothing. Those claims just go away. They've never gone to the field, never looked at. The next level of severity goes up and they say, um, this is it's a hail claim, it's all exterior, I have no leaks. Depending on how the carrier routes their claims, some automatically go to an IA, some automatically go to a staff adjuster, some go to me. It depends on how they route them. Some go to a desk adjuster who could have the authority to make the call how it's handled initially. They can send it to a staff adjuster or IA who's licensed or an unlicensed vendor. And the Department of Insurance care how you do it is all the is licensed. Yeah. And it's legal. It's legal. No, it absolutely is. And and in theory, it's a great system. Because in it's theory. all about reducing expenses. Because it, because the carrier will promote that. If we can adjust your claim for less, pay you what we owe, but, but cost less to us, we'll charge you fewer premium dollars. In theory. That's great, right? In theory. It's great. Yes, it is great in theory. Oh, if, if I'm one of the higher up, you're the man, then it's great. Yeah, but it, it goes right. We spoke about it earlier when I first started doing this, and man, we talked about it last episode. Man, we file a claim on Monday, it jumps out on Wednesday. I'm roofing by Friday, and we're done. And now it's file a claim in March. What year was that? Yeah, it's been a minute, Adam. Not as old as Eric, but I'm, I've been in it for a minute. But now it's a three month process, and you know it's it's it is a process, and and again, I, I think what happens is, you know, the guys on the roof, you've probably seen some of them, the adjusters that are going out. And I don't know, I, I don't know where they find these guys, but so one, I don't trust them. The photos they're taking. Um, You're talking about the third party. The, the, vendors, the vendors. Um, And then if and when that information even gets turned in, I mean, I know it has to eventually, but um but it's troubling. And the items, and you know, we started out, I guess the, the first real virtual thing that I encountered was the drone. And so they would send a drone pilot out and take all these pictures and send it to a desk. Well, you know as well as I do. I mean, they, are they looking at the belt? You know, you got to look at the look at the belt. Is there valid metal? You can't see valid metal nine times out of ten on a roof. So there's, you know, all kinds of ancillary items other than the shingles that go in a claim. And I find when that bit of information gets transferred to an actual adjuster, there's so many things that get missed. And therefore, it goes to the supplement side. 
process. And because, like you were saying earlier, it's not the same person more often than not. You know, this guy leaves and gets deployed or whatever. You're dealing with three, four, five different people all the time. Um, it's it's a struggle. On the contractor side, it's a struggle. Um, so it's – I get it. And I understand the cost of things. But there's just uh, – I don't feel, again, my opinion, that it's in the best efforts to serve the policyholder. Well, you know, the cynical contractor um, – You're saying I'm I, the cynical contract <laughs> might think that this was intentional. I might say that this was a, a plan. And looking at it mathematically, it, I mean, it adds up. It delays everything. It stretches it out. I mean, what are the odds, right? I mean, if you pay 100 claims for a drone and you can't see the belt to your point, it could be 30 pounds, it could be 50, it could be ice and water, it could be ice and valley metal, it could be all kinds of stuff you can't see. It could be a free year, it could be a 50, it could be a micro resistant. You can't tell any of that. And it pushes. And this is a part that I don't like because I, I prefer to go in the field. When I'm given the option of a virtual field, I push back every time in the field, in yeah. the field. I always want to go in the field because that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Licensed, qualified, field adjuster every time. Yeah. But that's the most expensive way to do it. So yeah. I can't argue against the cost savings when they can figure out ways to do it and still do it right. But out of 100 claims that are looked at with a drone, how many times will people not ask for the other stuff? How many contractors will look at it and say, I get that. You know, that's, they have, but yeah. Don't you feel that they have a fiduciary responsibility as well? To, well, that's why that policy is for. That policy is there to ensure that the homeowner is covered in the event of a loss. Yeah. And that, what you just said there, and that I'm, I, I don't know that it's true or not, but that goes against the bottom line. And that's that's where I take issue with it, because right? yeah. you know I'm a homeowner. We're all homeowners sitting here today, and if something happens, I want to know that I am fully covered, protected, right. and and that's what insurance is there for. So anyway, it's a long conversation. It's like talking religion or politics. I don't know that we're ever going to get to the bottom line of it, but but it's and honestly, as a homeowner, um, you need a team to make sure it's done right. You, you do adjust your. Yeah, and a contractor has a clear understanding. I mean, just like an adjuster who needs experience, you need a contractor. Now, this is a plug for Tinket Roofing, um, who, who knows the right people to work with and, and understands all the processes to, to get where you need to go as a homeowner. Um, so, but anyway, yeah, that, that, that's a longer conversation. So, Man, we've been going for an hour. I never thought in a million years I'd ever, or we would ever, always talk for an hour. So I'm gonna end, I want to end it with this, and I, I sent you this in advance. But tell me the wildest thing that's ever happened with you, a homeowner, or you or a contractor that you were just like, man, I don't know what I've gotten myself into, and, and we'll leave it at that. Ooh, Take it um, okay. So I had one of my first appointments with the previous carrier. I was in California. Not my favorite place to work. Love to visit there, but some of the customers are challenges. We'll just say that the challenges. Yeah, in the same three deployment, I got also I got nominated for employee of the year and my job was threatened at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for the one for the one claim, to do. <laughs> I got it. I same same twenty day time period. So these two claims were um, one has been settled with that one. It was a claim. I just policy information says you know Mr. And Mrs. name. And I phone number. I call him. It's his son. 
And I'm like, oh, hey, I was, I was calling your dad. He died. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. It happens sometimes because people don't let us know. Yeah. But he died during the storm. Um, yeah, it's a really, really bad deal. He had a big wind event, blew half his roof off. Elderly gentleman who wanted to move from one side of the home to the other because it was raining in the house. So he tried to drag his mattress over and fortunately had a heart attack. He died. And the son, who lived in Sacramento, and the daughter who lived in San Diego, he lived in LA. They both had to drive in and help take care of his, everything the claim, the funeral, yeah. everything. And he was also a, somewhat of a worker. And so when I got there, I, this is early in my career. And I mentioned earlier, you learn questions to ask. Area that do. <laughs> yeah, and I, I didn't ask a question on that one. And so I got there on a Saturday and I, I immediately said, Sir, I have not allocated enough time to handle your claim properly. I've got Saturday off. I want to spend all day with you on Saturday because we had to go through all this personal property. It was all water damage. And so he's like, well, He ordered a, a dump truck to show up in the yard. He's going to put undamaged, damage keeping, for whatever reason, and trash. And I had in all of this, but it took all day. I helped him load the home into the dumpster. Wow. Do that. And that was the one I was nominated for, for good job. Um, yeah, yeah. The other one I went in, it was straightforward, but it was like a $4 million home and on the on the cliff and it had this tile roof. And uh, you know, if you got a $4 million home, you probably got a couple of dollars in the bank and you probably know some people. And I went in and said, Well, you've got water in seven half of the room, and you don't have any storm damage. Roof, you don't have a small crater open. You have a leak, you have water ponding, and it's not covered. I'm sorry. <laughs> and she said, I know the vice president of the company you work for, and if you don't pay for this, I'm going to have you fired. And I said, Well, all right, policy says this, and this is what you can this is what we can do. And so I left. And then they, my boss said, Yeah, you really probably called us on that one, let us know. And they just sent someone in and they just paid for it, even though it was totally against policy. Politics, man. It's all politics. Politics. It's all politics. And I was, and my boss told me, he's like, you didn't do anything wrong. But the next time someone says that, immediately call me as you walk out of the door so we can, so we can handle it. Because there's a business reason to handle okay. it. Well, that's good to know. I'm not throwing yeah. that around on the line whenever yeah. they trouble. You know the vice yeah. Do you know who, that, who I know? Yeah. That's what he said. Do you know who I am? Do you, do you know this person? I'm like, yeah, I heard of him. He's a boss. It's like, I'm pretty sure he would want me to. Know. His name on my check. Yeah. Like, yeah. He told me to do it this way. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Adam, man, thank you so much for, for spending the time. Um, I, I hope this was eye-opening for homeowners, other contractors. And again, I think the, the ultimate goal of, of having you on with us here is like, man, we're all doing a job. There, there's no reason for us to argue. There, there's no reason we can't all get along. Um, I, I, I think we're just all trying to do the right thing for the homeowner, for you know, the company that we work for or whatever. So it's, uh, there, there are other ways we can go about doing things other than, than, than arguing and bickering. And maybe that goes a little deeper than just contracting, but, but life in general, we can all have a conversation. So uh, that's what I wanted to hear. And I'm, I'm really grateful for one, for, for knowing you as a human being and, and for helping us out. And if there's anything you'd like to leave us with, please do. No, it was a pleasure being here. I'm glad you asked me. Um, Maybe I'll come back if you have any more questions we can work on. We didn't oh, even talk about blood. That's one of my favorite things. Okay. I actually, yeah, that, that's in one of your many acronyms on the back of your name. We do need to talk about that. So, all right, guys. Thanks, uh, thanks for tuning in to episode two, or is this one now that we have have a name and, and logo? This is two? This is one, two? two? No. All right.
Utah. Thank you too. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.